Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. Hi there, this is Jillian on Love, and I am on a mission to teach people how to transform their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, you're single or heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, breaths, and minds. I have now coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. In today's episode, I am going to talk about anxious and avoidant attachment. I'm going to bust a few myths and share, I think, some incredibly useful and important insights. Now, I have done a couple episodes about this and I would definitely check them out. I've done an episode called Anxious Attachment. I've done an episode called The Chaser and the Runner and I've done two episodes for that, part one and part two. And I've also done an episode on anxious attachment when it comes to heartbreak and dating. And then this is going to be a little bit different or a lot different, but I do recommend listening to those as well. I want to just further clarify like what happens when We have these attachment wounds in a relationship. Like I said, bust a couple of myths and clarify a few things and also help you show up differently in a relationship if you're struggling with this. Okay. So the first thing that I want to say is this. Attachment theory and words and terms like anxious attachment and avoidant attachment has been completely and utterly overused in the social media space. And I will say, and I have said this before, and those of you who've listened to my other episodes about this topic know that I've said that I do think it is a very important lens. Attachment theory is an important lens through which we look at the, let's say, complex tapestry that is relationship, specifically romantic relationships. And I really, truly do love how so many people are now in an effort to learn more about themselves and to most importantly, heal their relational pain and wounds. Are they now more aware of their attachment wounds and issues and styles? And I think that's wonderful. But as is the case in most things in life, the pendulum is now swinging too far in the opposite direction. And what I see happening is that people are now over-identifying with their attachment style while not realizing three very important things. And that is number one, that our attachment style is not fixed. Being in a relationship with someone who inspires us to be a better person, who challenges us just enough to grow is not the same thing as being in a relationship with someone who consistently stimulates our suffering 
and we do the same for them. If you are someone who has, let's say, a history of abandonment issues and you get into a relationship with someone who has a history of pulling away or running away, that's going to be very difficult. If you have a history of some abandonment wounds and you're in a relationship with someone who is very right for you, you're very right for them, you guys communicate openly with one another, that trauma or wounding, if you will, won't be as stimulated. And our attachment style is not so fixed because additionally, Oftentimes, when we are experiencing this, we're also experiencing something else in our lives. We're experiencing a certain stress in our lives. Or like I said, it's context in terms of who we're in a relationship with. Or maybe it's triggered because we're having a lot of work stress or a lot of family stress. So attachment styles isn't fixed. And it's not a diagnosis. And then number two, the second most important thing that people don't realize about attachment theory that is actually making it so that people are really over-identifying with it and over-diagnosing themselves with it is that it really is quite misunderstood. Meaning, one's behavior in a relationship is not only and just informed by their attachment style. Because there's some theories out there that saying that the lens that we must look through when we are examining our behavior or another's behavior in a relationship is through the lens of attachment theory. I could not disagree more. There's a lot more that's going on. One's issues when it comes to romantic relationships are also related to perhaps trauma, addictions, their maturity level, their stage of life, where they are in their cognitive development, how spoiled they are by their family, right? You know, being in a relationship with someone who's spoiled, they they don't understand what it's like to have to really like work hard for anything. That's going to affect how they are in a relationship because they're going to just think, I'm just supposed to be loved and I don't have to do anything, right? And it's also hugely impacted by a person's character. Some people are selfish, Some people lie, they cheat, and they value their egos more than they value loyalty and kindness. And I'm not going to today here go down a rabbit hole into psychoanalyzing someone why they are like that. But some people really have work to do on themselves that they may never do. And it could be because they're incredibly spoiled. Who knows? But they just don't have strong character. And that impacts how a person behaves in a relationship. And then number three, attachment theory and attachment styles is now being completely weaponized. Avoidance are seen as the devil in social media, and the anxious are seen as angels and victims of the avoidant. This is because, you know, quote unquote, at least the anxious one wants closeness, and the avoidant fears closeness. So clearly, The avoidant is the messed up one. But it's more nuanced than that. Because when two people, especially one avoidant and the other one more anxious, are in a relationship with one another and they start to have problems because of their attachment style, 
both are equally dancing around intimacy. That dance is what I go deep into in my episodes, The Chaser and the Runner, part one and two. So there are four really crucial things to remember and to understand about attachment issues and styles. Okay. Number one, a person's attachment style. And specifically today, I'm talking about insecure attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and everything in between, everything that is not quote unquote secure attachment. That attachment issue, they do not usually rear their heads fully until a couple faces conflict. So usually what happens is that the issues that a couple might have that has to do with their opposing insecure attachment styles is not commonly seen in the beginning of the relationship during the honeymoon phase. It's more commonly seen once there is a trigger that triggers them and that trigger is a deep conflict of some sort. And this is very, very important to remember because a lot of people talk about, and I'm going to get to this a little bit later, about dating and attachment styles. But really, this is why it's so important to take your time to get to know someone and to really not decide If you are going to truly commit your life to someone, buy a house with them, move in with them until you've had conflict, because it's then that you are going to see your attachment wounding at play. There is always usually a trigger. This episode is sponsored by Thrive Cosmetics. Whether you prefer a subtle smoky eye, you like a little bit more sheen or something in between, I personally like sheen, Thrive Cosmetics gives you all the festive looks for that holiday glow, and I am all about the glow. And you've probably seen their viral turquoise tubes all over socials. I mean, they really are everywhere. They have a best-selling Brilliant Eye Brightener. They have an award-winning tubing mascara, which is really genius. But what's most important, especially for me, is that they're certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. So they're made with clean, skin-loving ingredients. And they have very high-performance formulas and uncompromising standards. And that is very important. And they have thousands of five-star reviews. So it's easy to see why Thrive Cosmetics is on every makeup lover's holiday wish list. So something that I really love is the highlighter stick. It is made to brighten and open up your eyes and gives you like an instant eye lift. And I think it's just, it's like, it like takes away all the like fatigue. I love that. All you have to do is apply like a little bit to the inner corner of your eyes. You just look rested. It's kind of amazing. So you can also use it, by the way, as an eyeshadow for a perfect daytime sheen or glow. And you can also use the metallic shades for an easy smoky eye if that's your thing. It also makes it extremely easy to apply and blend any of the 16 shades because that's a foolproof formula that they use. It's pretty amazing. So give the gift of Thrive Cosmetics, luxury, 
beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash Jillian. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash Jillian for 20% off your first order. Number two, all who have insecure attachment style have something in common, and that is lowered self-esteem. Hence why they are called, quote-unquote, insecure attachment. This sort of leads me to number three, but it's kind of blended into number two. Because both are insecure, they both overvalue certainty, the need to feel safe, and they will value the need to feel safe over intimacy, over connection, over vulnerability. And so they will do anything to avoid risk and to protect themselves from emotional pain. And so the anxiously attached person and the avoidant attached person, what they're both doing is trying to cope with how incredibly insecure they feel how fearful they are. And instead of going deep into intimacy and vulnerability and communication, they're too fixated on trying to keep themselves safe. And it's because that lowered self-esteem that they will have certain behaviors and do certain things that will make it so that they dance around intimacy rather than really connecting to intimacy. And everything becomes an unconscious pursuit of how do I protect myself? Because what matters most to them is certainty. And they would rather have the certainty than do what it takes to really find a deeper connection. And so they both give love with a lot of expectations. Expectations such as, if I give you love, you better make me feel safe and you better give me love back. If I give you love, I better get some in return and it better look exactly the way that I want it to look. And in any kind of insecure attachment, whether it's anxious, avoided, or anything in between, what happens between those two people in a relationship once there is a trigger, there's a lot of pulling away and a lot of chasing. And paradoxically, they switch roles often. Now, the anxious person, their emotional center of gravity will be anxiety and clinging and grasping. And the avoidant, their emotional center of gravity will be to avoid, to pull away, to deny. But that doesn't mean that their roles don't switch often. Again, what I cover in The Chaser and the Runner. So... That's very important to understand. That pulling away and chasing and the switching of roles often is the pattern of insecure attachment regardless of which one you have identified with. And they both come from a deep feeling of insecurity, which is associated low self-esteem, and then thus the over-pursuit of certainty and the need to feel safe. Next. The good news is that both can heal 
by learning how to love themselves more, how to raise their self-esteem. Again, listening to my episode, how to actually love yourself and raise your self-esteem and five steps to self-love, absolutely essential. And they can both heal when they learn how to regulate and calm themselves emotionally. And this is something that we all have to do by putting on our grown-up pants and freaking learning how to communicate. And sometimes, like, when I'm working with people who are caught up in this dance, whether they're in a relationship or dating or wanting to be in a relationship, regardless if they've just started dating or they've been in a relationship for a while, is I say, if you were not afraid right now, what would you say? What would you do differently if you weren't afraid right now? And so it's helpful to ask yourself when you feel, because first you need the awareness, because the first step is the awareness. I am in my wound right now. And I really want to encourage all of you to not just, when you say I'm in my wound right now, that it's not just attachment. You can say to yourself, I'm in my wound right now. That wound is, I am afraid that I am not going to be good enough for this person. I am overwhelmed right now. Therefore, certain things are triggered inside of me, one of which could be my anxiety or my avoidance. But the first step is just to acknowledge a trigger has happened. Somehow there's a nervous system response to either run or cling or just freeze. And having that awareness of when we are just not in a state of equilibrium. This really is the biggest step, is to be able to say to ourselves, I'm in my head right now. I'm in a story right now. I'm dysregulated right now. Is huge. It's actually so huge. You should celebrate it when you can say that to yourself. And then you can say, if I weren't afraid right now, what would I do differently? If I weren't afraid right now, what would I communicate? And this is the process of how we learn how to pause before reacting. And you will fail many times. We have learned, and this is a fact, that in order for a skill to, for a habit, I should say, or a practice to become a skill, we have to practice it a lot. So you just have to keep practicing that space before reacting where you can actually calm and regulate yourself specifically during conflict. So you notice any impulse to run, you notice any impulse to just blame, you notice any impulse to not give the circumstance, the person, the situation breathing room where you just want to like You want to suck up all the oxygen in the room because you can't deal with the space. You know, these are the things that we have to start to acknowledge. And we say, what am I telling myself right now? What is the story that I'm telling myself right now? If I weren't afraid right now, what would I say? What would I do differently? And then we take a moment to breathe and we sit with the which I understand the sometimes unbearable discomfort 
of not reacting right away because our highest intention is to actually be more mature in a relationship. We want to be aware of the inner child, but we don't want to overcoddle ourselves because there, there is a balance between being aware of that fearful part in ourselves and being very compassionate and at the same time challenging ourselves to do better and to be more mature and to not just give in to old pain. Not an easy balance to strike. Finding that balance is different for every individual, but it is important. I don't believe in the overcoddling oneself. I believe that we have to have a will. We have to impose some of our will and say, no, I, this is important for me. I have to challenge myself to do the best that I can right now. I will say again that anytime there's any hint of insecure attachment, I just want to reiterate, it really always boils down to self-esteem and self-love. And so, like I said, just listen to those other episodes because it's very important. I have seen in myself and in countless clients and people who I've worked with over the years, their attachment issues and their attachment style really become more secure the more secure they were able to feel within themselves, to feel more connected to themselves. Everything foundationally will come down to the relationship that we have with ourselves. There's no escaping it. And that's a good thing because that's how we grow and that's how we get stronger. And that's how we heal our relationships. This episode is brought to you by StoryWorth. Okay, this is really cool. Listen to this. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years and years. It is a thoughtful and extremely meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most to you. So this is what happens. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? So after one year, I have chills even talking about this. I think this is just amazing. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your loved ones' stories that they told you about based on your questions, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. That is just amazing. I come from a generation where it's like the family photos are family photos that are not on a phone. And there's just so many things that I wish that my family and that I had just with my friends had documented. And this is just so incredibly creative and fantastic. I love it. Reading the weekly stories, by the way, will help you connect you with your loved ones, no matter how near or far apart you are. It's just really, really beautiful. Like I did it and I learned something, you know, we learn about people. And even the people who may be sharing a roof, like you live under the same roof, we learn about them through creative questions. When we can ask questions that inspires them to share a story 
from their deep memory bank inside of them, we create connection. And so many of us don't ask those questions. And so many of us, therefore, don't share the stories that really give us a window into a person's vast inner world. So with StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love most a thoughtful personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash on love and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash on love to save $10 on your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Copilot. I'm a very active person. I've been studying and practicing yoga for over 20 years now. I taught it for like 18 years. And I will say that I also just love all forms of movement. And so because I was a teacher of yoga and because I'm so deeply entrenched in it, like I don't just work with anyone. If I'm going to work with a personal trainer or Pilates or any kind of teacher who is teaching me something to do with my body, I will not do that with just anyone. Just incredibly picky. And I discovered Copilot. Copilot is a personalized fitness solution. Every individual is unique, and this is very, very true, from their needs to their schedules to what they're struggling with and what they're actually really strong with. So your fitness journey has to be completely personalized. Copilot's app links you with an affordable real-life fitness coach who customizes workouts tailored to your individual needs and goals. So there's no fitness fads here. You can work out anytime, anywhere, and make your fitness a seamless part of your lifestyle. And this is really, really important. First of all, it's personalization. You get a completely personalized workout, like I said, step-by-step guidance. Your coach continuously updates and adapts every workout to your goals, schedule, and injuries. There's also accountability. My co-pilot app offers a connection to an actual real life expert and they really are experts. So you get workout plans tailored by your coach to be effective, enjoyable. You get regular progress check-ins, support and guidance. And you know, your workout programs are designed around your specific lifestyle and your specific needs so they can be convenient and you don't have to do it with the gym if you don't want to. So I just have to say that I think that they're extremely professional. My experience with them has been nothing short of fantastic. So I really can't recommend it enough. And the system's flexibility. You can do home or gym workouts. And I think that that's really important, especially in today's world. I'd love to offer you to follow my lead to get fit and feel fabulous. Give Copilot a try to find out why it was listed by Forbes as the top rated personal trainer app of 2023. Head to go.mycopilot.com slash Jillian to get a 14 day free trial and 20% off your first month of personalized fitness with your own personal trainer if you sign up before February 1st, 2024. That's go.mypopilot.com slash Jillian to get a free 14-day trial and 20% off your first month. Sign up for the new year and let Copilot help you reach your fitness goals. So I want to point out three main signs that anxious attachment is at play in a relationship and three main signs that avoidant attachment is rearing its head in a relationship. 
So the first big sign that your anxious attachment is running the show is, and this could be a pattern of yours, wanting to remain in a relationship or wanting to remain in relationships at all costs, even if you're miserable in the relationship and it is very clearly not the right person for you, even a bad person for you. The anxiously attached person, when the anxious attachment is really running the show, they will want to prevent a breakup as much as possible. This is the abandonment wound. And this is what happens when we get so afraid of separating from someone, so afraid of the rejection, so afraid of the abandonment, that they stay too long and they will do anything to make a relationship last, even if it's a bad relationship. Number two, when the anxiously attached person is in the thick of their wound and it's running the show, they will often betray themselves to avoid the end of the relationship. So they will withhold their truth. They will not talk about their needs. They will avoid the hard conversations. They will cling to a bad relationship, even if they're perhaps even not being treated that well. Often there will be a lot of codependency where they're not nurturing a life outside of the relationship. They're not nurturing their personal goals. They're not nurturing their dreams. They're not nurturing their longings. And they're not working on their self-esteem separate from the relationship. It's almost like they're just constantly trying to get their self-esteem from the relationship. And they will need constant reassurance as a result of feeling insecure themselves. And then number three, when anxious attachment is running the show, like I said earlier, it usually indicates someone who has a pattern of staying too long in relationships. You will see anxiety manifest itself as some people ending the relationship first so that they don't get broken up with. And that's just like overall anxiety. But what I have seen more often than not is staying too long because the ending of the relationship, the severing of the attachment is what the person is trying to desperately prevent. When avoidant attachment is running the show in a relationship, it usually looks like someone needing more and more space when they feel overwhelmed. So as soon as they're feeling overwhelmed, they need space. And the more that they're overwhelmed, the need for space just keeps compounding on top of the other. So then what it starts to look like is instead of just someone wanting, you know, an afternoon to themselves or just wanting some alone time, it actually becomes a pulling away from the relationship. And it's started by this overwhelmment. And then number two when avoidance is running the show in a relationship, it often looks like conflict, conflict avoidance. So they will avoid talking about conflict. They don't want to have the hard conversations. And I want to just give a little bit of context here. Every single one of us, the most important thing for us to feel safe in a relationship, and this is for everyone, secure, insecure, and everything, everyone in between. We have a deep need to feel seen and to feel understood. And people who feel most 
comfortable and safe in their relationships. They feel seen and they feel understood. So many people who avoid conflict, they do so because they do not have the words to describe the complexity of their inner experience for many reasons. They weren't raised to express emotions. Maybe they can do it better in writing, but verbally they have a difficult time doing that. So they don't have the words to describe and express the complexity of their inner experience. And when they don't have that, when any of us don't have that, this puts them at deep risk, great risk of being misunderstood. Therefore, it's not the conversation that they are avoiding. It's feeling misunderstood that they're avoiding. They're avoiding pain and they're avoiding the pain of not feeling seen or understood. And they could have been trained by former partners to feel that way. They could have been trained by family members growing up. And so a lot of times what I say to these people who are conflict avoidant, once we sort of get under the hood of the car, so to speak, to figure out what it is that they really are avoiding in that. And almost always, it's not being able to really describe the complexity of their own experience, being misunderstood, and then hence being that, you know, they may have had past partners who use things against them, who judge them for not explaining themselves well, for not being as expressive. And so they retreat deeper and deeper into their shell of avoidance. And oftentimes what I say is explore writing and to see if writing your inner experience is helpful. And I would say, always tell your person, tell them why you're writing it, because it's just easier. And then if you're on the receiving end of that, you should reward that and be open to that for sure. So that's just giving you a little insight into avoidance and conflict avoidance. And then number three, typically when avoidance is running the show in a relationship, they leave relationships too soon. They run and they don't put in the necessary work that is required to make a relationship work. I, I must say that I want to address this sort of demonization of avoidance that I see all over social media and sort of clear the air a little bit here. First of all, what everyone needs to understand is that just because someone is quote unquote has avoidant attachment, it does not make them inherently toxic. You see, two people can be equally dysfunctional and have two different attachment styles. So avoidance are not more dysfunctional than any other insecure attachment. There's such a large spectrum. And, you know, the people who we meet or in relationship with who are toxic, there's other things at play. There's immaturity. There's just deep immaturity. Again, there could be selfishness. There can be other signs of just so much dysfunction. So there's other things at play here. It's not just, oh, I'm a little bit conflict avoidant, or yes, I have a tendency to pull away when I'm feeling overwhelmed. 
that is no more dysfunctional than someone who is refusing to give space and clinging and needing constant reassurance. So avoidance are not inherently toxic when people are constantly shutting down, they're giving the silent treatment. I'm going to get to that in a moment. They're literally like unable to have any difficult conversations. They just avoid everything at all costs. I mean, there's something more going on there than just avoid an attachment. Okay. There really is a spectrum and not every avoidantly attached person is running away from closeness all the time. Like I said, you know, context matters. And usually if someone is terrified of closeness and really just can't get close to anyone, yes, there is some attachment stuff there, but there's more. There's real fear. There's an internal conflict. There's trauma. There's just more to it. When it comes to the holidays, I have a family. We don't really do much for the holidays. We don't exchange gifts or do anything like that. But we do spend quality time together. We see it as like a day off to really just connect and be kind of lazy. But I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people who love to give gifts. And one thing that I find really important is sometimes the best gift that you can give is something for yourself. And maybe that is starting therapy. If you've been thinking about it, if you're having a hard time and you just need someone to talk to, that might be the biggest act of self-love. I know for me in the past, therapy has really helped me through very difficult times. It was like the thing that got me through really hard times. But therapy could also be really helpful to just help you make important decisions. If you're in a crossroads in your life or you're just wanting to learn more about yourself so that you can make better decisions for yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's entirely designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which I have to tell you is huge because sometimes it takes, you know, a few rounds to see like who is the right therapist for you. It's a relationship after all. So the fact that you can switch anytime and there's no additional charge is phenomenal. So in the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash on love today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash on love. I want to say something about the silent treatment and rage, because I do believe that they are two sides of the same coin. I think that someone who gives the silent treatment like refusing to talk, totally shutting down, stonewalling. They're very rageful. And then rage is, and look, I don't believe that someone just raising their voice means that they have rage. I mean, sometimes we raise our voices. Come on, we do. Rage is yelling, screaming, throwing things. It's scary. It's someone who is completely lost control of their emotions. They've have zero composure and they are out of control and you're seeing someone who is appearing very violent. So I want to make it very clear that someone who you're in a relationship with, if they are rageful, they're screaming, 
throwing things like, you know, screaming veins popping out of their neck. And they are just like, they cannot control their anger. Or you're in a relationship with someone who shuts down to the point where they shut you out and won't talk to you and act like you are not even there. These are two huge red flags. And I want you to break up with them immediately. And I know that is a radical thing for someone in my position to say, but it's what I believe. Anyone who has that kind of rage, eventually, more often than not, they could become physically violent towards you or verbally violent towards you. And someone who is the silent treatment, I'm not talking about a little bit of pulling away. I'm not talking about, you know, feeling like a little bit shut down, like having a hard time expressing themselves. I'm talking about shuts you out. You talk to them. They look at you and completely ignore you or refuse to look at you. They disappear for days on end. There is just no having a relationship like that with someone. And if you are someone who does that, what I want to say to you is this does not make you a bad person, but these are two things that need to be worked on. I can't dance around this subject. I can't sugarcoat it. These are two very, very major things and they're abusive. And so they have to be addressed. Okay. The next thing that I want to talk about is how we actually can make each other anxious or avoidant in a relationship. The things that we do that can actually pull out another person's anxiety and pull out another person's avoidance. Okay, so number one, you're going to make someone who you're in a relationship with really anxious and may even trigger anxious attachment in them when they maybe have not, don't even have that so much in the past by constantly pulling away, by not communicating, and by needing more space than you need togetherness. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't need space. Everyone has to negotiate and discuss with their partner the balance between autonomy and togetherness, separateness and togetherness. But I do think that if you're someone who needs more space than you do need togetherness, that is definitely going to trigger anxiety in someone because the point of a relationship is to stay connected. And the point of a relationship is to learn how to stay connected even within the face of the reality that every single one of us has in our own way an addiction to our individuality, a need to express ourselves as an individual. And like I said, it's an addiction for some of us, that, that need to feel separate, that need to feel significant, that need to feel different, that need to beat to our own drum can sometimes feel like an addiction. And so reconciling that while at the same time making the goal of the relationship to stay connected throughout that you are going to make someone avoidant and avoid you if you always want to talk about the relationship if you're always pointing out to them what they're doing wrong rather than acknowledging what they're doing right in the relationship and vis-a-vis -vis you 
if you never allow for any individuality or alone time. And being impatient and having a lack of compassion for how it may be difficult for someone to express themselves emotionally as opposed to just giving them a safe space to express themselves maybe not so perfectly. And you will trigger avoidance in someone. And then I want to, as I promised in the beginning of this episode, and this is going to be hard to hear, but I have to say it anyway. I've been hearing a lot lately about people talking about the anxious avoidant loop and dating and whatnot. And here's the truth. I started this conversation with that most of the time, a large majority of the time, way more times than not, our attachment wounds are revealed in a relationship in the presence of a particular trigger. And usually that trigger is conflict. In early dating, if someone is seeming avoidant, more times than not, it's because they are not as interested in you as you are in them. And they don't feel that emotionally connected to you. And maybe they're still around because it's easy or they're bored. And so this is why one of the messages that I am so committed to continue to share when it comes to single people who are dating is stop investing in the person who's just not investing in you, who doesn't actually have a very obvious curiosity about learning more about you. And don't just say, oh, they're avoidant. Don't demonize them for being avoidant in the beginning, because you actually don't know if that's the case. You don't know if that's their attachment style, but you can bet that they're just not that interested. So don't chase the uninterested. And generally speaking, what I will close with is this. If you struggle with attachment issues, it is helpful to be with someone who's more secure. But at the end of the day, regardless of our attachment wounds, we all are challenge to learn how to be more present in a relationship, how to be more curious about the other person, how to be more loving and communicative. And every single person, I believe, at some point in our lives and throughout our lives have to investigate the barriers we have to intimacy. And sometimes our barriers is because we really just choose the wrong person over and over again, and we have to kind of change the way we choose. But often we need to examine the fear that's holding us back. How our families express love may have something to do with that. Taking more risk to be vulnerable, taking more risk to be more honest. And that's all of our work, is to have a curiosity about whatever emotional and psychological barriers we have when it comes to love. So that's it for this week's Jillian on Love. I thank you for being a listener. And I have a favor to ask of you, which is if you have a great review, please share it. And please, instead of just listening to the podcast, please subscribe. Not, not You don't have to subscribe for the paid version, but just subscribe on Apple or Spotify because that's what actually keeps, that's sort of the name of the game. It's what keeps us afloat. My promise to you is just to keep 
recording content that you need and you want. So send me your requests to hello at jillianonlove.com. I read them all. My team reads them all. And if there is anyone you know who you think could benefit from this episode, please click share. Because when you do, you really never know whose life you could be changing for the better. Thanks again. And until next time. Jillian on Love is a Q-Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Shin Yin Hu. Editing and music by Will Tendy. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judai and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking portrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade. And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.